Thank you. Um, okay, so we've been going through this, uh, this book, the story. Uh, the story is um, basically primarily excerpts from the Bible. And uh, if you've been reading it, you know what the editors did was they just laid it out in chronological order. And then they also uh, either synopsized or kind of omitted some of the things that aren't essential to the overarching narrative. But our goal is to just get a sense of the big picture, like what the heck is God doing in the world, like grand scheme of things. And so, uh, so we've been working through that. Now, when you go through the narrative, uh, one of the things you're going to see when you examine the Bible is that uh, God's plan A for you and for me, for all of us, is to live a life that's full of good things. Uh, that's God's plan A. Uh, we don't always cooperate with that plan. Unfortunately for us, sometimes other people don't always cooperate with that plan. But, but that's really his goal. If you look at the Bible at the very beginning, what do you see? You see God make everything. And when he's done setting everything in the proper order where he wants it, he declares it all to be very good. That was his design from the beginning. If you read uh, all the way through the narrative, all the way to the end in the book of Revelation, the culmination of human history, you'll see what does God do? He restores everything back to the place of being very good. Genesis 1.31 says that God saw all that he had made at the end of the creative process, and it was very good. Uh, it sounds awesome, too, when you read through it, like uh, everything's stress-free. Uh, they're naked, so the weather must have been awesome. <laughs> Uh, I'm assuming there was no mosquitoes, or maybe there was, but they were bothering something else. Uh, there was no hunger, there was no death, there was no disease. Like, they just had everything they needed, and it was all peaceful. It was all very good. Uh, sounds awesome. That's God's plan A for you. But does that mean that there won't be challenges? Has anyone lived a life free of challenges? No takers? Okay, Nick. Hey, if I was as handsome as you, I probably wouldn't have any challenges either. But for the rest of us... Uh, there are challenges. There are hardships. There are even heartaches and heartbreaks. I'm not 100% sure what the difference is, uh, but you know that some really painful things also happen in life too. So the fact that God's intent and his plan A for us is to live a life full of good things doesn't mean there won't be difficulties because there will. We all know that. But what it does mean is that God can take those and he can reconcile them. He can turn them around. In fact, he is working to reconcile them and turn them around into good things. Have you ever had something difficult in your life that in due time, as it ran its course, it actually turned out to some, be something beautiful? Has that happened to you before? Uh, think of it like uh, eating right. That's awful. Uh, salad. Like whose idea was it to stuff weeds in your mouth? I have no idea. But if you do that on an ongoing basis and you just suffer through, guess what? It's going to have positive outcomes in your life. God can take the difficult things and turn them around for good. That's what he's doing in the upper story. In the grand scheme of all creation, of all human history, God is working all things back to the place of being very good. It's also what he's doing in the lower story. It's also what he's doing in your story and my story. Uh, Romans 8.28, pretty well-known coffee cup verse. It says that God is, in fact, working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called by him. So God is working all things back to being very good. Now, throughout the, uh, the creative story, the narrative of the Bible, we've seen God taking these broken things and working them, turning them for good things. So if you came in with a burden, you came in broken, you came in discouraged, uh, good news. God is working all things back to good things. He's working all things back to goodness. Uh, something else we're going to see, or we have seen already in the narrative, is that we've seen God using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. 
We see you God use just normal people who are going about their business, but they're willing to listen to what he's saying. Uh, we've seen God do incredible things through them all along the way. In fact, the Bible tells us uh, that one of his plans for us, each one of us, his plan A, Ephesians 2.10 is a good example. It says that we are God's masterpiece. You think of yourself as a masterpiece? Yeah, sometimes. Uh, if you do, like, then you may have another set of issues. But it says that we are God's masterpiece. That is, in fact, what you are. Uh, I was just thinking, I, I don't know if I really want to be around someone who thinks of themselves as a masterpiece. <laughs> uh, but you're God's masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10. Think of that. You're the pinnacle of his creation. Uh, and he created you and redeemed you in Christ, it says, to do the good works, to do the good things with your life that he prepared for you before you were ever born. Before anything went wrong in your life, God had a plan A in mind, good things in mind for each and every one of us. It's true for everyone, but I want to call out a special, uh, specific group of people. I specifically want to call, maybe not out, I want to call up the men in the room, the men listening online, the dads, the husbands, the fathers, uh, the grandpas. Uh, there's, there's some really important stuff in this week's message, the story of David, uh, specifically his formative years. And I just want to challenge you men to take it really personally, uh, to not take it passively, but to really take David's story personally. And here's why. Because your families and the, the people close to you are looking to you for leadership, whether you want it or not. Uh, whether you like that idea or not, they're looking to you. In fact, uh, the uh, brilliant and really weird father of modern psychoanalysis, Sigmund Freud, uh, one of his most uh, well-known observations is that we form our view of God around our view of our father. Uh, the people that love you, the people that are close to you, they're looking to you for leadership, whether you want it or not. Uh, I always tell young people, you're going to learn two things from your parents, what to do and what not to do. Uh, I think we all would like to teach the people around us more what to do's than what not to do's. Uh, and so I want to just encourage you men to take it really personally, okay? I can tell you right now that if you look through the biblical narrative, if you were just to sit down and read the whole thing front to, front to back, one of the things you would see without a doubt is that God's plan A for you within the context of your household is for you to lead your family to find and follow Jesus. Now that is his plan for you. Now some of you are like, I don't have kids yet. Don't put that pressure on me. Back down. Uh, but you might someday... And one of God's specific plans for you as a leader in your household is to lead your family to find and follow Jesus. If you accomplish nothing else in this entire lifetime, you can count your life a success if you do this one thing. So today we're going to be in chapter 11 of the story. Most of chapter 11 is excerpts of the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st Chronicles. So we'll mostly be in 1st Samuel if you have the story with you. Uh, you can flip over to chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you can go to 1 Samuel. If you have a device, that's where we'll be. Um, otherwise, pretty much all of it will be on the screen. So, you know, there's that too. Uh, the principal figure in this section is David. Now, when we pick up the story, uh, if you have been hanging around church at all, you probably know of King David. Okay? But when we pick up the story, he's, he's just a boy. Uh, he might actually be young enough to go to this school when we pick up the story. He's maybe a preteen, maybe around age 12. Uh, maybe like a middle schooler, early teenager, kind of right in that age. And he would eventually become known as Israel's greatest king. To this day, Jews consider David to be the greatest king in the history of them as a nation. Uh, it's pretty, pretty crazy stuff. And this is what we're going to see in this week's section. Okay? The next probably three weeks, we'll primarily focus on David's life. Uh, but this week, what we're going to see is how God uses 
the events of his early life, the formative events of his life, to prepare him for God's purposes later on in life. Okay, so I have a sticky phrase for you because uh, I know that, you know, when you put handles on it, it's easier to remember. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, like, when I have a good idea, it has like a 14-second shelf life, and it's gone. <laughs> like, if I, didn't, if I don't make like a rap song or write it down or something, like, it's gone. Uh, so this is the sticky phrase that I would love for you to hang on to. Uh, it happens to be true, too, by the way. God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. Okay, in the first person, God is preparing me for what he has prepared for me. Okay, let's, let's try it. We're going to say it together. You ready? God is preparing me for what he has prepared for me. Oh, that was so good. Okay, now, summon your inner extrovert. Rise up. If you believe it's true, or maybe you're not sure, but you want it to be true, say it with gusto. Okay, you ready? God is preparing me for what he has prepared for me. I love that. I love that. Uh, now, if you believe that God can use the events of your past and present, if you just simply believe that by faith, I just believe that God can use my past and my present to do good things in the future. If you just believe that by faith, you've taken zero action at this point, you just believe that by faith, then you've already done the hardest part in terms of seeing it happen. Because when you read the Bible, what you see is it's a story of faith. God is looking for our faith. That's, he's looking for us to trust in him. So if you, if you just have faith that God can use your past to do good things in the future, uh, the rest is easy. Just keep breathing and keep believing. Just, just act accordingly uh, and you'll get there. Uh, I want to call your attention today to three events in David's life, lessons from David's life, um, all of which precede his time as king, but all of them would later on come to define David in his life. So, uh, so here's where we'll start. If you remember from last week, okay, uh, Israel wanted a king. We want a king. Give us a king. They kept telling Samuel. Samuel was the priest. He was kind of like the national dad and uh, the spiritual leader of Israel, and we want a king. Give us a king because we want to be like everybody else, they said. We want to be like all the other nations. And, of course, um, Samuel is like super flustered because he knows you have God for your king. Like what more could you possibly want than to have the creator of all the universe as your king? Like when you think about it in those terms, it sounds pretty dumb, doesn't it? Uh, but they just want to be like everybody else. And really the conclusion we drew from that is that if we want to follow God, we can't always be like everybody else. Now the false assumption is that what everybody else has is better than what we have. That's what they were believing. Uh, so they wanted a king. They didn't want God to be their king. And God gave them Saul. Saul became the first king of Israel. And he was the picture of a leader. Uh, it says that he was a head taller than everyone else in the nation. Uh, that sounds like freak show material to me, but okay. Uh, I can see why that kind of makes sense. Like you can spot him from really far, so that's helpful. Uh, I grew up with a particularly tall dad, and that was really helpful, especially at church on Sunday. Like, I could find him. So Saul becomes their really tall king, and he is like the picture of a leader. He's strong. He's imposing. He's forceful. Uh, he starts out kind of stubborn, like resistant to being the king. But then as time goes by, that stubbornness turns into arrogance. It turns into pride. And Saul starts to become unavailable to God's purposes. Um, his pride won't let him uh, be moldable. He won't listen to God's voice. He just wants to do what he wants to do. And on page 145 in the story, it's 1 Samuel 16, God decides, I've had enough. And he sends Samuel 
to go to Samuel, still kind of the spiritual leader of Israel. He's still the national dad. And he sends him out to the house of a man named Jesse. And when he gets to Jesse's house, he's going to choose the next king of Israel from one of, among one of Jesse's eight sons. Uh, having eight sons sounds terrifying. Uh, we have one daughter and two boys. Uh, and the thing we like to say is that uh, boys are, you know, they're a little bit easier to like deal with their emotions, but they're harder to keep alive. So imagine like Jesse's like trying to, you know, chase eight boys out of like climbing a trees and craziness. Uh, he's got eight sons. And Jesse, Samuel shows up and Jesse calls them all together. Well, he calls seven of them together because one of them is just a kid. One of them, you know, surely he's like 12 years old. Surely he's not the next king. Uh, you stay out in the field, David, and take care of the sheep, right? And so the other seven go in to meet Samuel. And the first son, Eliab is his name, comes along. On page 145, it's 1 Samuel 16, it says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Surely this is the guy. He looks like a leader. He walks like a leader. They limp, apparently. The others are all kind of following his lead. I mean, he's the first one, right? Uh, everybody else is kind of looking to Eliab for leadership. Uh, he seems confident. He seems self-assured. Everybody else is naturally following him. Surely, surely this is the guy. These are the things that create leadership perception, right? They're assertive. Uh, the person who's yelling the loudest sometimes just becomes the natural leader. But the next verse says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And this is our key verse for this week. It says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God could care less how imposing or how loud or how assertive Eliab is. Uh, that means nothing to him. In fact, this is what I find really interesting, is that all of the qualities we might look at and say, whoa, that person is a leader, those are actually the things that disqualified him from being God's man for the job. Now, that might be something to think about next time you know, you're deciding, like, what kind of leader am I going to be? How am I going to lead my circle? Uh, who am I going to follow as a leader? Those are the things that actually disqualified him. God looks at the heart. Is the heart available to his plans? Is it humble before him? There are at least 22 places in the Bible that say God is uh, in opposition to the proud, but he's an ally to the humble. Uh, that's something to think about when we're thinking in terms of leadership. And this is the very reason that Saul was replaced as the king. It was his pride that became the problem. Uh, last week, God would say to Saul in 1 Samuel 13, um, he says, basically, because you've pridefully chosen to do your own thing instead of following after me, you decided to go your own way as a king, your kingdom's going to fall. That's what God told, told Saul. Uh, if you had chosen to follow me, your kingdom would last forever. But, but because you've chosen your own way instead of mine, your kingdom will not stand. So, uh, men specifically, but everyone, in your own world, okay, your own, your own circle of influence, your own little kingdom, uh, we all kind of have our own sphere, uh, what does this tell you is God's expectation about how you're going to lead that circle, about how you're going to lead your own kingdom? Uh, it tells us a couple of things. It tells us, one, God has a way, and two, we have a way. Uh, and if we choose to go our own way, our kingdom is in trouble. Uh, God has his way, and it's better. 
the proud are in opposition to God, but the humble will find him to be an ally. And this, so this is what God says to Saul about his pride. It's from 1 Samuel 13, 14. He says to Saul, But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's commands. God's not appointing a stronger leader, uh, a louder, more assertive leader. It says that he's found a man after his own heart. What does God care about? He cares about the heart. He's not concerned about David's ability. He's not concerned about the fact that he's a boy. He's not even concerned about the fact that none of his family even think he can be a leader. We know that because they left him out in the field. God doesn't care about that. What God cares about is his heart. So the first key observation I want to make from David's formative years is that your availability trumps your ability. Okay, the availability of your heart is more important than your natural skills and what you know how to do. Uh, all of the ability in the world, okay, all of the leadership skills, all of the hard skills, all of the soft skills, uh, none of them are compatible with God's blessing if your heart is prideful. Uh, that's, that's food for thought. Uh, God's blessing is not compatible with a proud heart. Uh, God's looking for availability. So Samuel comes, he sees all seven of them, none of them are God's guy, and he finds out, well, there's one more kid out in the field, and so, of course, Samuel sends for him, and he anoints David right there on the spot, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Isn't that really interesting? Okay, so the next observation that we'll make here in just one second, I'm going to give it to you right up front so you can fill in the blanks, because I know how gratifying that is, <laughs> is that uh, God's concerned about your availability, not your ability. The second one is that God will give you the necessary ability for what he's called you to. If he's called you to do something, uh, if that's part of his plan for your life, he's going to give you the necessary ability. Page 146, 1 Samuel 16, 12, it says, So he, Jesse, sent for David and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of, hit the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Okay, so so far in the narrative, uh, we've seen God do some pretty extraordinary things with really ordinary people. Uh, a lot of them, there's just nothing special about them. Uh, Mike mentioned one of them earlier, Moses. Moses was chosen to go lead these people out of captivity, and he actually had a stutter. Like, he had a speech impediment. Uh, we've seen God do some really incredible things with people that just don't have any special ability. Now, you might look at this and be like, hey, wait a minute. It says that David's good looking. It says that he's handsome. You know what that tells me? It tells me that for all you beautiful people out there, there's hope for you too. God can use anybody. It doesn't matter the outward appearance to God, right? Because he's able to do whatever the heck he wants to do. He's going to give you the ability if your heart is able. Uh, the fact that David happened to be really good looking is kind of annoying, but it's not really important. Uh, what, was, what mattered to God was his heart, a man after my own heart. Now, there's something really important that happens right here, uh, something important that David didn't have before this moment that he does have right now. And I think it's really important for us because it's the difference between success and failure in everything he does. It says the last line, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that, from that day on. 
Uh, what did David not have before? He didn't have the Spirit of God in his life. Now he does. That alone is the difference between success and failure. God took David's humble heart and he empowered it by his spirit. You can't do that with a prideful heart, right? Because a prideful heart already knows what to do. And you can't do that. You can't empower uh, a lethargic heart because a lethargic heart is fine. I just, I'm fine. You can't do it with an apathetic heart because, eh, an apathetic heart's not interested. But a heart that's after God's own purpose, after his own heart, God can empower that. And there's this really interesting situation that unfolds uh, from here in David's young life. Kind of crazy. Uh, David has been anointed to be the next king, but he's not the next king yet. Saul is still the king. And uh, because of Saul's pride, God eventually just kind of gave him over to his own desires. And it says that Saul was tormented uh, by a troubling spirit. He was troubled on an ongoing basis. Have you ever been troubled in your spirit? Uh, maybe like when you're trying to make a big decision or maybe when you make a big, made a big decision and then uh, turns out that probably wasn't the best one you could have made. You know, you can't sleep at night. It's just on your mind all the time. You're just troubled in your spirit. And this is where Saul is at. Um, sometimes we get there because of other people's decision making. But Saul is here. He's troubled on an ongoing basis. Not a good situation when you have unlimited power in the nation. And so Saul's servants say, hey, why don't you let us find somebody who knows how to play the lyre, which is a type of harp, a little thing, you know, you see like the angels on the movies going, that's, that's a lyre. Um, he said, let us find somebody who knows how to play the harp to come play some soothing music for you and, and help you calm down. Guess who knows how to play the lyre? David. He had picked up this skill. We don't know where. I have no idea. But God is going to use his ability to go bing, 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 bing to, to get this. This is so crazy. Um, He's anointed to be the next king, and he's not in Saul's family, so okay, like something crazy is going to have to go down, right? He's going to have to scale the wall, he's going to have to like raise up an insurgence. Nope, they're just going to bring him in the front door, because he knows how to play the harp. <laughs> and this one ability that he had was God's gateway to bring him into the palace and give him influence, help him build relationships. Well, Saul sees this unfolding. David, because he knows how to play the harp and other things that God worked in his life, uh, starts to gain influence, and people start to think David's pretty awesome. Well, Saul, being the uh, ultra-insecure alpha male that he is, gets really upset with David, and literally starts, uh, he tries to kill David. So David goes through this whole season. Uh, if you ever read through any of the Psalms, most of them were written during the season when David was fleeing for his life, living in caves, wandering the wilderness, just running anywhere he can go to be safe from Saul's pursuit. Pretty dark time. But God would use a lot of these challenges and the hardships and the heartache uh, that happened to David during this time to prepare him to be king one day. God would use his previous experiences. And what we see with David is that even when the hardship happens, his heart is still available. And God is still able to use his experiences for future glory, for future endeavors. Mike shared a perfect example of how this works in our life. Uh, someone included Mike. He went from feeling like an outsider to feeling like an insider simply because someone was enough of a leader to say, hey, I'm going to include you. And that's a leadership lesson that you'll never forget. That will follow you in the way you treat other people for the rest of your life. Uh, God can use all kinds of past experiences that seem so small at the time for what he wants to do in your life in the future. I had something similar to this happen to me. Uh, when I went to 10th grade, 
uh, I changed schools. And I had one friend at this new school. Uh, we, we were coming from uh, the school we went to before and going to a new high school, big school. And, uh, and he was like one of those people who's super smart, very eloquent, really annoying like that, right? So he joined the debate team because that's what you do when you're like one of the smartest kids and, uh, and you're really eloquent. Uh, you go argue with other people and try to make them feel stupid. Well, I didn't know anybody at the school. And so my friend was like, hey. You should sign up. You should come be on the team. And it's a class, so you get credit for it. And, uh, you know, you should, you should come join. And I was like, I don't know. I thought we'd probably talk about politics or whatever. And I was like, okay, I'll go. What I didn't know was that uh, the most, how would I say, uh, politically minded and ultra aggressive person on the faculty was the instructor slash coach. <laughs> Uh, And by the way, her personal values were the exact opposite of every value I'd ever had in my life. And the other thing I didn't know was that every ultra smart kid who loved to make people feel stupid was in that class. And all of them came from homes that didn't share my values. Uh, And I learned literally, literally within the first second, 30 seconds of being in this class uh, that I was either going to stand up or I was going to get demolished. Like I was going to take the wheel or someone else was going to grab the wheel and use it to run me over. Uh, like, I learned that immediately. Okay? Uh, so here's what happened in that class. There's some things I learned. Um, I learned, one, how to study so that I could not just have an opinion, but I could actually have an informed view of things. Because everybody has an opinion. I have opinions about all kinds of things that I don't know anything about. Uh, but I learned that uh, for the things that we're going to be discussing here, I, I need to learn how to study and articulate what I know. I also learned how to stand up in front of people and tell them what I had studied in a way that was somewhat coherent? I mean, when am I ever going to use that in life? (laughs) I learned how to do this, not at the university that I went to. I learned how to do this in 10th grade. I had no idea. Literally, what what, what am I ever going to do with this? Well, it turns out that God actually knew what was coming down the road for me. And it turns out that right there in 10th grade, um, amongst all these people who were super hostile toward the gospel, God was preparing me for what he had prepared for me. He was giving me the necessary ability so that I'd be ready with it when the time came. So the first observation is that your availability, the availability of your heart will trump your ability always with God. The second one is that God will give you the necessary ability to accomplish his will for your life, his plan A. And the third one is an action step. The third one is something that you can actually do, and that is you can be ready to do what only you can do. Okay, there are many things in your life that anybody could do, uh, or at least anyone with just a little bit of instruction or training can do. Like, uh, I'm sure you're all really critical to the life of the company or organization you work for. I'm sure of that. But if you just decided not to show up next time, guess what would happen? Somebody else would figure out how to do your job. Like, if I just didn't show up next Sunday, uh, someone else would probably just figure that out. Probably a guy with a beard, about you know six feet tall. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just shooting out loud here. Uh, somebody else would probably do. Now, they might not know what you know day one, but they'd figure it out. If you just decided, you know what? I know that I'm like uh, the president of the PTA, but I'm just not going to show up anymore. Uh, someone else would figure out what to do. If you went home and you just decided, I'm not going to make dinner tonight, you know what? I bet your family wouldn't starve. I bet they know where the cereal is. Uh, I bet even the ones that can only crawl would figure it out, or at least CPS would come and figure it out for them. Right? Most of the things, truthfully, uh, that we do in life, 
pretty much anybody could come along and do for us. Uh, now, uh, welcome to Center Church. I know that's not the most encouraging thing you've ever heard, but there are certain things in life that only you can do. It's a pretty small percentage of the things that you do with your time and energy, but there are certain things that no one else can come along and do for you. And beginning on page 146, it's in 1 Samuel 17, we see David come to a situation that only he can deal with. No one else can do it for him. He's either going to stand up or they're going to get rolled. And so uh, this is the story that we know as David and Goliath. This is where it starts to take shape uh, for David. The Philistine warrior Goliath uh, is out there. uh, And this is an opportunity for me to play for you my favorite all-time Super Bowl commercial ever. So I have a video of it. Go ahead and roll that if you you have that, Tiana. If not, it's okay. Wilson Sporting Goods, the heroes of the story. Uh, I just, like, uh, it's the only Super Bowl commercial I remember. That commercial is probably close to 30 years old now. I just cannot forget it for the life of me. Uh, David has to face Goliath. Goliath stands out there mocking the Israelites, mocking every single thing that is important to David. He's mocking their people. He's mocking their God. He's challenging them. Send somebody out to fight me. Isn't there one of you who will come out and fight me? And the Israelite soldiers are afraid and they're overmatched. Now, uh, I used to think to myself, well, why didn't they just like gang rush him and kill him? I mean, he's one guy. It's not like he's 600 feet tall. He's just a really big dude. Uh, But uh, one of the things we learned about last week is that their entire army was overmatched. Estimates say uh, at about 13 to 1. So it wasn't like they could all just rush out there and kill Goliath and everything would be fine. If they all rushed out there, the other army is going to all rush out there and they're going to get demolished. And so... Um, Goliath is kind of, that situation's kind of an out for them, right? Because it's like this one guy saying, hey, if some one person can come kill me, uh, then then you guys win. We'll give up and go home. We'll never know if they would actually have uh, done that or not, because that's not how it played out. But but they're afraid, and they're overmatched, and they're just paralyzed. They're unable to take decisive action. Have you ever been paralyzed by indecision? Uh, Maybe even over something much smaller than this, like what color carpet to get or what color to paint the kitchen. Uh, sometimes when we can't decide, isn't it crazy how it can just like paralyze you? Uh, you're just incapable of taking action when you can't decide. It's, it's the craziest thing how that happens to people. So Jesse has sends his youngest son, David, who's still taking care of the sheep. The older brothers are out, you know, they're soldiers, they're out to battle. He sends his son, David, to go up and find out how it's going and take some supplies to them. And uh, so David gets there to kind of the back line, and he hears about what's going on, this Goliath thing. Um, so David, uh, is, he's just a bold kid. He drops all the stuff at the back line with the supply people, and he just marches right up to the front line to see what's happening, to find out what's going on. And this is what it says on page 148 in the story. It says, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God, David asks. And what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. I will go and fight him. Uh, David's bold, uh, is he not? There's no one else who's going to come along and do this job because David knows something that the rest of the soldiers don't know. David knows 
that he is appointed by God to be the next king of Israel. That this situation is his responsibility and nobody else is going to come along and do it. Now, the other soldiers probably just think, oh, he's just this idealistic teenager kid. He's going to go out there and get demolished. But David doesn't care that that's what they think because he has a job to do that only he can do. Now, there are many things in your life that are going to take up your time and your energy. And there's going to be most of those things that almost anyone could do, but there are a small number of things that only you can do. And if you don't do them, chances are no one's going to come along and do it for you. Uh, For example, no one else can take care of your physical well-being. As much as I would love for that to happen, my friend Dennis cannot eat the salad for me. Uh, I wish you could. I wish you could. Uh, But we went out to lunch the other day, and sure enough, I had to do it myself, and uh, I didn't have salad. Nobody else can feed your soul. No one else can take care of your relationship with God. Uh, Nobody else is going to be able to educate your mind for you or sharpen your skills for you. And nobody else is going to be able to be the spouse or the parent or the influencer that God has called you to be. No one else is going to come along and do that for you. Uh, Only you can be that person. Now, this applies to everyone, but I'm just calling specifically on the men in the room today. Dads, grandpas, don't wait for somebody else to come along and point your kids in the way to go. Don't wait for someone else to do that. That's that's not going to happen. Somebody else might come along, and who knows where they're going to point them. Only you can fill that role. Don't wait for somebody else to come along and fight for your marriage uh, because there are pitfalls and giants out there, uh, and who else is going to stand and fight for that? Don't wait for somebody else to come along and set the standard for your family. Uh, Only you can do that because God has called only you to fill that role. A person... uh, a person who's, as a person who's just been on the planet for four decades, like I don't know anything special, I just am looking around and have lived for a little while, I can assure you that the giants of life are out there. The discouragements are out there, the, the blindside hits that you don't see coming, those things, those things are out there waiting for you. And just a couple more verses I want to share with you, uh, because it's so important for you to be the one who stands for your family. I just want to, I'm going to ask the band to come, we're just going to we're going to sing just a couple of songs at the end just to, to worship, but I want, to, I want to get you to just stay tuned in with me because I want to share just a couple more verses from David's story. Uh, David wants to go out and fight, and Saul says, no, 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 you're just a boy. Uh, you're, the giant is a tested warrior. You're not going. But David reminds Saul of some things that God has done in the past. David reminds Saul, hey, um, I used to take care of my sheep, and guess who loves to eat sheep? Lions and bears. Guess whose job it is to fight them off? Uh, God was with me when I did that. He reminds Saul of what happened in the past, how back in his father's field as a shepherd, God was preparing him for what he had for him. On page 149, it's 1 Samuel 17, 37. Saul said to David, Saul concedes, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head, and David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around, but he, because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them, so he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, he chose five smooth stones from the stream, he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, with his sling in his hand he approached the Philistine. David almost made a critical mistake right here. David tried on Saul's armor, and it didn't fit. David is not Saul. Uh, You're not the next person. Um, If God wanted you to go do that thing over there, 
he would have called you over there. If, if God wanted someone else to have your calling, he would have called that person instead. And sometimes, uh, men specifically, this is true for everyone, but men specifically, there are times when you got to just go in the bathroom and look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, apparently I'm God's guy for this job, or he would have sent somebody else to do it. Yeah. Only I can do this. And so if you need to literally do that, like um, if you need to literally remind yourself to go all in, 100% committed to your marriage, go in your bathroom and lock the door and tell yourself, I'm God's guy for this job. Uh, I'm God's guy to be that woman's wife and no one else's. And if he wanted to send somebody else along, he would have called them, but he sent me. If that's what you need to do to remind yourself that these are my children, no one else is going to come along and do my job for me. If you need to go in the bathroom and look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm God's guy for this job, then do that. Do that. Go 100% in. David almost made a critical mistake when he tried to put on Saul's armor and it didn't fit. So David left Saul's armor with Saul, and he went on with something much stronger. In verse 45, it says, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gather here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David approaches Goliath in the power of God's name, and he says, I'm going to take off your head, and you can't stop it. And I would love to just ask you, when was the last time that you looked at your own personal discouragements and the things that you come up against and the things you feel like you're failing at, when was the last time you looked at those and said, I'm going to cut off your head today in Jesus' name? Uh, now, that's kind of crude language, but do you see what I'm saying? Like, David had no fear of what was in front of him because he knew who was living in him, who was fighting for him. Now, somebody might say, okay, that's, that's a really great pep talk, uh, but how does that work in my actual life? Because there's no literal giant in my yard to throw rocks at. Uh, that visual would probably make it a little bit easier, uh, but I'll just give you an example, okay? How about this? Uh, I've quoted this before. There's a study done by a marriage and family counselor named Dr. Kim Kim Kimberling who found that the divorce rate among couples who regularly pray and read the Bible together is less than 1%. Uh, how about standing for your family that way? Uh, I know that that might sound hard. It's awkward. I don't want to do that. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to do that. How would I start to do something that we haven't done before? We've been married for 10 years and like we've never done this. It's so awkward. It is hard. That's why you're going to go first because it's hard. Uh, that's why you get to take the lead on that. Uh, I get it, but that's why you get to lead. Now there's a corresponding verse in Ephesians 6, 13. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. God's plan A for you and for your household is that you would stand victorious over whatever comes against you. And he is continually preparing you for what he has prepared for you. But it begins with uh, you having an available heart and trusting him for the ability and being ready to take action on the things that only you can do. So I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me. Uh, you might have noticed on the card that's on your seat, there's there's two questions at the bottom. I'm going to ask you to just reflect on those. Uh, maybe write those down where you're at or at least take that with you to reflect on. The two questions are, 
what is God saying to you? And two, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do about it? Um, not like, you know, what might I want to do, but what am I going to do? What's a first step for me uh, to be the leader that the people around me need? Now, uh, I am aware that there are probably uh, some households that maybe have a gap there uh, because somebody's not filling their role. Uh, I get that. And you might actually be the person who has to stand in right there. Uh, I want to encourage you, don't be afraid to do that because God's going to give you the ability if you'll trust in him. So what is it that God is saying to you and what are you ready to do about it? Uh, we're going we're gonna to worship and then uh, I'll be back. person is just lacking. That person is not in the picture or maybe they are and they're just, they're not there right now. So, uh, so whichever case, wherever you're at, uh, I just, I want to pray for you. Lord, I thank you for uh, each one of the men in this room and listening online. Lord, I consider them to be my brothers in Christ and someday we will uh, be together uh, before you and we'll celebrate the fact that you filled in all the gaps that we couldn't fill. Uh, but in the meantime, God, I pray that you would give us strength to uh, to stare down the giants that would come up against us and those that you've entrusted us. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage uh, to stand before them and say, today, my God's going to take your head off and you can't stop it. So in Jesus' name, I pray that you would go out before us, uh, that you would fill us by your spirit uh, to be leaders in a world that is longing for them, God. Secondly, Lord, I want to pray for every household where that person is not there. Uh, first of all, God, we know that you are our Heavenly Father, um, and you will fill in that gap if we'll turn to you. So, God, I just want to pray that you, by your Spirit, would bring comfort where it is needed. And, uh, God, I pray that you would give courage and wisdom and confidence uh, and provision and strength to those who would come along and try to fill in that gap, uh, whether it's a single parent um, or it's another family member or just someone who cares about them. God, I pray that you would empower them to, to just lead people to you as our Heavenly Father. And for every person who's struggling uh, because of someone else's poor decisions, um, God, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, turn that for good. Lord, just, just give us faith that somehow in time you will work beautiful things from these ashes, Lord. Increase our faith so that we can trust in you, Lord, I pray that you would mend up the brokenhearted and give us strength for another day so that we could see you work in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you.